And away we go. It is the Holy Grail BCJ podcast brought to you by BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. Aaron Smith behind the curtain on the ones and twos. Do we need and, to uh, like a Aaron like a DJ name? We could. Yeah, we could give Aaron a DJ name. <laughs> He'd have to start incorporating some music, but then we'd get DCMA'd and that would be problems. So we'll keep away from that. Don't forget this weekend. We're getting ready Saturday for the Bengals playoff game. Head down and see our good friends at the Holy Grail. Uh, I know Mo Egger, Tony Pike live from 11 to noon. And then Tony Pike and uh, Ken Brew live from 11, noon to 3. So uh, stop by if you're down that way. And uh, get you some Holy Grail. Get you a couple drinks before the game. Maybe get you a little lunch. Get you a little food in your belly. I need to get like, we haven't done a watch party in a little while. So I need to get back down there because their pizza is addicting to me. I love their pizza. Hi, Colin. Hi, Jason. Welcome on in. And uh, that's it. Make sure you're frequenting the Holy Grail this this weekend. I know they're doing Bengals. Obviously, on Saturday, they'll have uh, the Bearcats on Sunday, 1 o'clock for uh, Wichita State and all the NFL playoff games on Sunday as well. So big weekend downtown Holy Grail Banks. Make it happen. All right, Dave, what are you going to talk about? There's a new Netflix uh, PGA Tour show that I'm excited about. You want to talk about that? I haven't I haven't seen it, but <laughs> no. we can talk about it. I don't know. It has not started. Okay. But uh, no. You want to you want to give your your uh, your Bengals playoff preview <laughs> here on the pod? I know that's why everybody is uh, going to be cold. Is it supposed to be freezing? Yeah, like a high of thirty. That's not terrible for mid January in Cincinnati. It's pretty cold once it's the, cold uh, once you know four thirty hits. You know. Well, the cold is going to be like one second half yeah. dark. Yeah. See, J- Jason can't wait for that PGA Tour show. See, maybe it's we'll. Like a, maybe... It's like a uh, behind the scenes for the entire season, every event, all the majors, and like they got the big dogs to participate, like Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth. Maybe we'll do like uh, Aaron does on Pardon the Punctuation, and we'll give you like 60 seconds of show to recap the PGA Tour show from that week. <laughs> what is his 60 seconds about? It's it's for Ed, their producer. He does 60 seconds of uh, AEW wrestling. Oh, I, I enjoy I enjoy the, the wrestling. So Ed gets it, – it's more of a, you know the, – the joke of that segment is that Ed gets 60 seconds – and he prepares like four minutes of content. Of stuff, yeah. Yeah, and he only gets through like his first topic and a half, and then his 60-second runs out, and then he's mad because he's got three more minutes that he wants to talk about, and he doesn't get to talk about it. It goes, it goes by pretty quick. Yeah, if you're not familiar with radio, uh, 60 seconds is, is pretty quick. <laughs> Loop Moen, I'm here for football season until the Bengals season is over. Yeah, 
you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to lean too heavily on Mo in this uh world. We're gonna let him write. He wants to write. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna overwork him on the uh the podcast side. But great to have Mo Egger if you missed that. Mo Egger is now a member of the Bearcat Journal team. He'll be writing Reds, Bengals, Bearcats, whatever tickles his fancy. Uh, we'll have it here on Bearcat Journal uh, for 2022. So excited about that. Good to have Mo on board. I know you're a Mo guy. I, I ran past him the idea of a, a Mo and Dave Bengals podcast, but he didn't really, he didn't bite. Yeah, I didn't think he would. <laughs> um. All right, let's get to let's get to the Bearcats. Uh, we will, I guess, start with the big news of today, and that is Perry Eliano is off to Ohio State to coach safeties. That leaves an opening at cornerbacks coach and special teams coordinator for the Cincinnati defense. Uh, Perry, man, you talk about a guy that that took his opportunity. And sprinted with it when Mike <laughs> yeah. Mickens left Cincinnati. Did <laughs> it, uh, any, has, has anybody done more to their career uh, other than maybe Luke Fickle or I guess Brian Kelly and Mark D'Antonio could stay stake a claim here as well? But uh, Perry Eliano came in to Cincinnati, a relative unknown in the assistant coaching world. He had had some nice gigs, but like he he hadn't made a major splash. He spends two years at Cincinnati. And uh, next thing you know, he's got a, a Thorpe Award winner, uh, the best corner, the, 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 also along with the Thorpe Award winner, the best cornerback in the country in 2022 or 2021 and Ahmad Gardner, Kobe Bryant. Both are going to be selected in the NFL draft. And uh, he took the opportunity. He took the ball and ran with it here at Cincinnati. And and now he gets a swing at things at Ohio State. Yeah, it, uh, it helps when you – you know, have some some good talent to to walk in the door with, and you know, show help show show who you are. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is it sucks for us because Perry was like really good to Bearcat Journal. He's an awesome dude. I love and Perry. just a, and just a good dude in in general. Um, but like, it's the profession. It's a transient profession. You yeah. you take the opportunities when they're presented because you just, you never know from year to year, you can be riding high and you got a bunch of guys hurt the next year and things don't go your way and you become the scapegoat because the coach right. needs to let somebody go to save his job. So, you know, I don't ever begrudge any of these guys. I mean, that's the profession that they've chosen that they, they know the deal. Um, especially for an assistant coach, especially for a non-coordinator, like where else would you rather be? Like there's a handful of schools that if you, if as a position coach, you get that call, that's like a, no, I mean, that's a no brainer. I don't Yeah. Yeah. I'll be there. When, when do you want me there? Let's put it this way. <clears throat> position coaches at Ohio state make more than coordinators at Cincinnati. Position coaches at Ohio State also make more than head coaches in the MAC. 
Like, oh. if, if you get a chance to be a position coach at Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, well, I think the I money saw, is just so ridiculous. I think I saw something. I don't know how. I don't want to, like, totally misquote this, but I don't know if it was Alabama or Ohio State. I think it was one of the two. Like, the average assistant coach salary was, like, 700 k or somewhere like yeah, that. Den- Denbrock made right right at five hundred thousand as the highest paid assistant coach on Cincinnati staff, and coaches in the MAC are right around that six hundred thousand dollar range generally uh, for a standard MAC level coach. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a hell of a gig if you can get it. Uh, I, I do not begrudge Perry at all. Like he he took an opportunity, made the most of it, and uh, boom, off they go. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll get to some comments here. Uh, announce Westside Jesus as special teams coordinator. Cowards. Look, I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't have the uh, ability to announce anything <laughs> until it happens. You don't, want to break, you don't want to break any news right now? I, I, there's no news to break yet. I know. I'm just I'm stoking the stoking the fires. If I was doing a hot board for special teams coordinator, Kerry Combs would certainly be atop the list. If I was doing a hot board for cornerbacks coach, I think he would probably also <laughs> be atop <laughs> that list as well. Uh, I mean, we might as well talk about it. Let's get to this other stuff first. How quickly after the Cotton Bowl did OSU contact Perry? I started getting rumblings of Ohio State and Perry uh, late last week over the weekend. Um, So I think it's something that probably there was a mutual interest last week. It carried over into this week. I don't know exactly when. uh, I have not heard when he interviewed with Ohio State, but uh he definitely let luke know this morning todd who is wsc it's west side jesus what is the c christ west side it's west side jesus <laughs> you've typed you put wsc on the board you put it on twitter you put it in the chat here it's wsj <laughs> west side jesus get it right we got to be on the same page here we got to be a team well, I got to be on the same page. I feel like you have to explain that because every podcast is someone's first. Someone might not have any idea what that means. So West Side Jesus. Yes, I'm happy. WSJ. There you go. <laughs> um, so there has been a thing for a decade now that if there's a head coach or defensive coordinator opening – at Cincinnati, Kerry Combs is instantly like what everybody wants to talk about. I think Kerry Combs is a very good college football coach. I think he has been a good position coach. I think he has been a good special teams coordinator. I think he has been an outstanding recruiter. Although I thought he, as a recruiter here, I thought he was really interesting because he recruited well but he didn't necessarily recruit Cincinnati at a super high level. 
Right. Like remember, he was awesome. Like, he killed it in Indiana. Yeah. When he was like he he really tapped in. That was right. Indi- Indianapolis is kind of an underrated football city. Because there's a lot, there's a, like four or five really good programs in Indianapolis that churn out a lot of players. Um, I thought you would see more results in the 5-1-3 from Kerry when he was here. Um, he was good in Cincinnati. I just, I think everybody expected him to like really lock down Cincinnati. Um, but but he was re- he was good in Northern Ohio. He was really good in Indianapolis. So everybody wanting him to be, well, especially the Coleraine folks, wanting him to be the head coach or the defensive coordinator or the president of the university, um, <laughs> the athletic director, uh, that kind of got this joke running on Bearcat Journal that gave him the nickname West Side Jesus because everybody on the West Side was a Kerry Combs disciple, so to speak. So that's where West Side Jesus comes from. Um, I think he's a, you know, now that he is not going to be back at Ohio State, I know his family loves Cincinnati. I know his wife loves Cincinnati. I, I think it makes sense, right? Like, I think these are the things that he is he is built to do. Coach cornerbacks, coordinate special teams, and recruit his ass off. Well, Cincinnati needs somebody to do all three of those things on this staff currently, right, Dave? Yes. So if you can find a way, and I'm not, I you know, I, all I'm saying is I, it makes logical sense for this opening specific, for these, you know, two openings and for Kerry Combs, who's now on the market after it, you know, it was announced today that he would not return to Ohio State staff. Kerry needs a job. UC needs somebody to do the jobs that Kerry is good at. Logically, that makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, I'm I'm not unbiased in this. I will be forthright in saying that I have known Kerry a long time. My family uh, is Col- is from Colerain, has people that have been in education at Colerain for a long time. Not anymore, since retired, but, uh, you know, have worked with Holly, have worked with Carrie. And he, like, to me, he's, it'd be a, it'd be a great fit to bring, to be able to bring him back. Um, so, like, I mean, I don't really have much else to say other than that. Like, I think it would be great. Um, I think it would be kind of the perfect way to, you know, kind of wrap up what's been a really good coaching career. Um, and I I know that his family would like it very much if 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 it would be to, if it would happen. I don't know. Other than that, um, Facebook user I don't Facebook doesn't give us names. Uh, is Al Washington a possibility for a spot, or is that ridiculous? I remember him being an amazing recruiter. Um, I would guess no on Al Washington. Uh, I think. I think 
Al did the one thing working for Luke Fickle that you can't do. Go to Michigan. Go to Michigan. <laughs> Leaving Luke Fickle for Michigan, I don't think. Well, and, and I think there was hopefully in Luke's initial staff, there was some understanding of let's get a couple years together here to to get this thing rolling. And Al was gone quickly. Um, I, I don't, I, I, I would not see Al Washington as a possibility. I, I don't, I mean, outside of that, like, what would he, what would he coach? Well, I guess the, you know, if, if somebody said, uh, so one person would be able to fill those two roles. Generally, special teams coordinators also coach a position. Um, yeah, in college, you only have 10. You get 10, yeah. So generally, you'll see, like, Brian Mason was the special teams coordinator and also coached the sniper position, uh, now called the dollar position. Um, so that would be something that one person could do. Can you see a Ford carry? Uh, that would be up to carry, but he's made a lot of money over the past decade. And I'm sure if he came to Cincinnati, he would be well compensated. <laughs> he wouldn't be, uh, he wouldn't be, you know, rubbing two nickels together to, to right. You know. He, he would, he would be okay. I, I think is fair to say. I believe they still, you might know this, I believe they still have their house. In Cincinnati, I know they used to for a I, long time. Yeah, I don't, I don't know current. Um, I, I believe, and you know, I don't want to like start some thing, but I want to say that I thought when he was with the Titans that they still did. I, I don't know about. <clears throat> excuse me. Once he went to Ohio State, went back to Ohio State. Yeah. Um, was Brian Mason the one who had ties to the Australian Kicking Academy? Those that. He and Luke both had ties down there because once, once you've gotten two guys, it's kind of like, yeah, the, the academy knows that that's what you're looking for. Well, and Luke was, you know, Luke closed the deal on both of those guys. Yeah. Mace do probably a lot of the the heavy lifting, yes. Um, but Ohio, Luke also okay. has here. Ties. We'll, just, we'll just do this. Uh, Ohio State does the same thing. So if Carrie happened to, yeah. They've they're in the same boat, right? Um, what else, Deanna? That was awesome. I don't know if you saw that tweet she sent to me. There was somebody with a, a UC bumper sticker and the license plate "Hate X" that was in her neighborhood in Indiana. She's trying to reach out and give them a virtual high five. <laughs> so, if you have the license plate "Hate X" and you live in Indiana, Deanna's looking for you to give you a high five. If you just so happen to listen to this podcast, which I would think somebody that's that die hard that they get a hate X license plate is probably listening to this podcast. I hope so. That would seem like someone that is searching for as much UC content as they can possibly find. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where we're at so far with the coaching thing. I still look, I'm even more like, firm in my belief that I will be shocked if it's anyone but Gino Gadulli that's the offensive coordinator. Tight ends coach, I don't think there's a great deal of like urgency. Mm -hmm. What? 
Oh, nothing. Sorry, I had something in my throat. Okay. Do you, you, do you want to disagree with me on that? No. Okay. Tight ends coach, I think they'll they'll kind of take their time on a little bit here. I mean, you've got two phenomenal tight ends returning. Yeah, you've got some development that needs to happen in that room, but I just don't think you have to get a tight ends coach like in the next two weeks. As long as you've got somebody in place by spring ball that can get started there, I, I think you're okay at tight ends coach for, for a little while. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I know we as people that cover it and our fans, they want like, they see all these other teams hiring people and they want, you know, that to happen as well. And I get that, but like, we've seen this stuff just keep, you know, it just with, the NFL cycle starting and who knows what's going to happen there. Like, I think we're just going to have to like be a little patient here. And I think, you know, coach fickle might be kind of taking more lay of the land of, of this stuff than our hyperactive fan base would hope. If that if that makes sense, like I don't see anything happening anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, unless I mean, it's somebody, unless it's somebody that like he's got like a long relationship with. There's not this like big process. He knows exactly who he wants, stuff like that. Right. Um, I I just I, I think when I start processing this stuff in my brain. I think over the past couple years, these these past two years, there's been urgency to get it done as fast as possible. Because in both seasons, you felt like you had a chance to do something big, right? Right. And you wanted to make sure, like, everybody was in-house. Everything was, you know, moving along as quickly as possible. Right now, you're kind of hitting, you're not hitting the reset button, but you're not you know, you're not dealing with a team with 34 seniors and national championship aspirations. So I think you can be a little bit more patient right now and make sure you get the right guy. Yeah. I mean, like when you're, some of your players are new, you could indoctrinate a new coach because, you know, especially let's just use the corner situation. Like, Pretty much everybody's going to be new. Yeah. So there's going to be a growing period for those guys, regardless of if you have the coach tomorrow or February 1st. And in the grand scheme of it, for this coming season, does that really, does that two and a half week time frame really matter if that's you getting like the absolute? perfect guy that you think for the job right so i think especially with like tight ends be patient like special teams i could see pretty quickly um but that also the interesting part is that kind of leaves like one free roll spot on the defensive side of the ball uh, 
that you know you've got two coaches if carry fills special teams and corners hypothetically mason was coaching the the snipers or the dollars however yeah. you want to put it um you've got one like you you can hire somebody to come in and coach that you could hire somebody to come in and maybe take over rush ends or yeah i mean i for me i would do a d tackle d end coach fair i mean Tressel is definitely heavily involved with the linebackers. I don't think you have to have a sniper's coach. That's what, and that's what I mean. Like, is the, you does that position really demand its own coach? Right. Versus some other some other positions. You know, in in the type of offense they run, they're not going to have an inside and an outside wide receivers coach like you see in more of the spread air raid type coaching staffs. So yeah. Um I don't know. I don't have too much else on the staff. Do you, Dave? No. I mean I think there's been a kind of a not a ma- a loud drum beat, but like some discussion of, about the assistant coach salary pool and stuff like that. Like it kind of just is what it is one and two, like you see could have a million more dollars in their salary pool and guys are still going to want the, the opportunity to coach at a Notre Dame at an Ohio state. You know, it's not a knock on UC and that's not a reflection in my opinion of the money that they have or don't have. That's just, I mean, those are the, that's the top of the food chain. That's the, you know, bluest of blue bloods. Anybody that's competitive and has a high, you know, self value is going to want that challenge. So I don't think it really matters whether we have big 12 money yet. Don't have big 12 money. Don't have enough money. Like we're not losing guys to North Carolina state or, Purdue, yeah, right. Not to disparage North Carolina State or Purdue, but like if you're losing guys to like clear cut lateral slash not even as good jobs, then that is more of a reflection on who they're working for than how much they're getting paid. Like guys leave for those situations because they have a relationship or they feel like they're on a sinking ship or something like that. Um, guys leaving for Notre Dame and Ohio State, that's just, I mean, that's the industry. Yeah. That's the same thing as, you know, head coaches leaving for Notre Dame, Tennessee, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, is Parrish Gaines, is Gaines a, a candidate? Uh, for a promotion to a full-time staff role, probably not. He's a first-year graduate assistant, for those that don't know. Um, came from the Naval Academy. You know, he's done some bouncing around a little bit um, as he's gotten into uh, the coaching ranks. As a first-year 
graduate assistant. I I, I would guess Cincinnati is at a spot where uh, you're not going to see a whole lot of graduate assistants bumped up. No, they're hiring like very tenured. I don't even know if it has to be like I don't think Mike Brown and and no, the, but no, I mean I think it's different now though. I mean maybe, but they could have hired they could have went out and hired a tenured guy when when Darren Page was hired, but I think they were blown away by Darren Page. I think they're looking for like how do you fit the culture of what we oh, want the sure. coaching staff to be, but. Um, is, is, is that a, a guy that I know that they really like as a graduate assistant, Parrish Gaines? Yeah. Is it a guy I think that, that is ready to just jump up and be a position coach on, on this staff? Probably not. There's Parrish Gaines, excitable <laughs> young fellow, excitable young fellow. Like I would guess that's, uh, as the field was being stormed in the American Athletic Conference Championship. The thing I'm I'm looking for is the recruiting element. Cuz I think you know not that you don't have a every year you don't take a fine tooth comb to your program when the season's over, where were we good, you know, where were we good, where were we bad, where can we improve? Right. But I think when you elevate yourself to the playoff and you see yourself against, you know, national title contending teams. I think it, it brings those things even more into focus and tells me like this sport is so much about the dudes. Yeah. Like obviously you need good coaches. You're not, you know, you can't run out slapdick coaches uh, and with great players, or, you know. But like, we need some more recruiters that can go get some dudes, especially now that they've done what they've done. Backsliding is not going to be, you know, tolerated. You can have a not as good season. I think we're all understanding that when you replace you know what is arguably two of the best players to ever play at UC right that there there is some regression is you know is to be expected but I don't think not challenging for the or I don't think challenging for the league is title is out of the question um no I think this team it is right there with Houston as a favorite. So if you're going to do that and then you're going to step up in competition, which the big, you know, we can think we're going to be great all we want, but the day in day out of the big 12 is a vast difference than the day in day out of the American. It just is like for sure. So, you know, some of those games this year where we kind of, you know, jerked around a little bit, those games will bite you, even against the okay teams in the Big 12, especially if you're on the road. So I'm interested to see from a recruiting standpoint who who comes in, what their recruiting chops are, what where their expertise lies as far as player standpoint, you know. 
do we lean in even harder to Ohio? Do we try to replace some of the Texas element that was starting to build with Perry? Um, you know, just some, some more some more interesting things that this offseason will provide, you know, which from a football standpoint, there will be plenty of them. I think if you can I don't think you have to get somebody with Texas ties, but I think if you can, you should, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not like a we go out and find someone regardless of who they are and like why'd you hire him? Because of Texas recruiting. Like because realistically, like how many how many guys is that person gonna bring you? Right. Realistically, especially when you're not even playing in the Big Twelve yet. Right. Um, and even when you do, with with Houston being added, with the teams that are already there, with their two teams going to the SEC, they're still going to recruit. There are more and more SEC teams are recruiting there. You know, like you're not making Texas your home. No, you're not. Yeah, I mean, it's nice if you have someone that has some connections to some places, but like. Some guy that just happens to be from Texas isn't walking into schools pulling guys left and right to, up to Cincinnati. Right. All of a sudden, five stars from Texas are like, ah, Cincinnati, Cincinnati sounds good. Yeah. That's not how this works. It'd be nice right. if it did. Oh, sure. That's not, it's like hiring a basketball coach. That like we talked about it with like when we talked about Demar and James White and like the possibility of those guys like joining the staff because they know Keith Stevens who runs Team Takeover and they're close with with Keith. Well, then what they learn when they become an assistant coach is there are thirty guys that are close to him <laughs> that that are like Keith's my guy that have gotten jobs right because they know Keith Stevens. Like so, all of a sudden you're like, hey man. Like your five star shooting guard's pretty damn good, and he's like, "Well, here's the other twenty five of my guys that are trying to recruit him. Good luck." That's that's not how Texas works. So no. I, I don't think you like put it at the top of your your board on like you know job qualifications, but if you can find somebody that's got it. Like it doesn't hurt. No, absolutely not. Um. I don't know. I, I think, do I think we're done? Probably not. I think you could see maybe one or two more things pop up. Uh, you know, from what we've heard, Mike Brown was a candidate at Virginia Tech. Uh, my understanding is, is he pulled his name from that search uh, and, and said, no, thanks. Um, we've heard kind of Ron Crook connected to Duke a little bit, but they hired their guy today or yesterday, right? Uh, beginning of the week, yep. end okay. of last week. I'm losing track, but I don't know what day it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in health and safety protocol for another day, so I don't I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, so I think that's kind of that's kind of where we're at. What was the question that, from Todd that was on the screen? Trestle in Notre Dame. Is this a storyline we should be following? Uh, if Tom Loy is still mentioning Trestle, it's worth keeping an eye on. Well, they're not getting the uh, Iowa yeah, State. The Iowa State guy said no. Um, must I really talk- love must really love that Ames tap water. Yeah, 
I, I, I'm curious about that one, but you know, maybe Iowa State realized maybe Matt Campbell was like, look, we're going to need to throw some money at this dude to keep him here. Uh, so that one caught me by a bit by surprise. I, I've never got the feeling that there was a ton of smoke to Trestle and Notre Dame other than, you know, those two kind of knowing each other. But like I said, if Tom is still saying Trestle's name is on the board, I'm, I'm inclined to believe Trestle's name is on the board. Tom is yeah. very, very good at this. But I mean, it's not like he said, like, this is their, clearly the Iowa State guy was the target. Yes. So, you know, not getting him might totally reset things. Who kn- who knows? I also think they now have a D line opening. Right. Tom has listed Greg Scruggs as the name of interest, and uh, I I can't get into this one yet. But I think there is somebody Cincinnati is looking at for for one of those two defensive spots that I wouldn't be surprised if Notre Dame is involved with as well. I can't really give that name out yet, but it's a name people are familiar with. Um, but I think that's about all I got on the on the the coaching carousel. This has been a it's been a big one, Dave. <laughs> well, I so mean, far. when you when you as as we don't like to say, but when you're in the G five <clears throat> and you make the playoff, right, and you got you know seven to ten guys that are probably going to get drafted people with a lot more money than you want some of that the the the, you know everybody wants a piece of what you got when you've got the nice toys right yeah i mean it works works the same way for us like you know back when you know when you hired brian kelly it's like you took the you hired the hot guy from the step below you right like it's just you know that's the way that's the way the profession is absolutely um let's get to to the returners dave yeah i think we're i think we're done i I, I think (laughs) who else could there be i don't know i think we're done I, i my understanding is all the announcements have been made Capped off, what do you think of Josh's announcement video with a little Wolf of Wall Street? I mean, it's uh, kind of turned into a hype video. Like, have the rated R version. That would have been I Josh to a C. Yeah, but I think, I'm guessing, if I had to guess, that was a shark production. Yeah, someone did. You don't think he did that himself? I don't believe. <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of faith in Josh's talent. Uh, as a video, uh, you know, editor, I'm guessing that's not a strength of his. Hey, who knows? But uh, Josh is back. Lenny's back. James Tunstall's back. Coop's back. Jeremy Cooper. Defensively, you've got Jabari Taylor, Malik Van, Wilson Huber, Javon Hicks, Arquan Bush. All of a sudden, there's there's a lot of dudes that were out on the field on Senior Day that are that are going to give this team a lot of experience that maybe we weren't for sure that they were going to have. And for me, Dave, I look at that as a collective on the names that are coming back that tells me this is a program that has not got their eyes set on a rebuilding year. No. I mean, you can't, like, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it and you're going to put out a, a too deep at some point. But, like, 
Offensively, yes, you lose Dez, you lose Jerome, you you lose Alex Alex. Pierce. Yeah. But like I'm not gonna say like that's it. I know they're but if McConnell and But if you said like you're gonna have like one of your best seasons ever with a bunch of seniors and a bunch of guys that are gonna go to the draft, and then you're gonna turn around the next year and you're and while you're gonna have to replace three very, very good players. You're only going to have to replace three. Right. I'd be like, okay, well, you know, who's my quarterback? You know, that's that's going to be question one, two, and three that will determine the success, as it always does for any team. But yes. you're – I mean, the offense is really coming back with a lot of talent and a lot of guys that have done stuff, have – have shown that they can do stuff and, you know, are now going to be going into a larger role, but we would feel confident about, you know, this isn't like a few years ago when we were, when we liked the D line group, but we didn't know because they hadn't done anything like Trey Tucker, Tyler Scott, Jaden Thompson. Like we have a pretty good idea of what, what those guys can be. We know what their floor is at this point. Like, we have no idea what their ceiling is. Right, and that's what I'm saying. Like, we have an idea. Like, we're it's not right. a total, like, well, here goes nothing. Hope these hope this works out. Like, we have an idea of what what is expected, what what they can do. Lenny and Josh, obviously, have an idea. Eric, can you but, pull up the, the season numbers on receivers? The offensive line. You know, I think they – we can all agree they were up and down this year, but having all those guys back isn't it can't hurt. Right. Um, the running back room, yes, you lose Jerome Ford, and yes, maybe right now you don't really have that true. I don't want to say RB one, but like true game break, twenty five carries a game type guy. But we have an idea of what Chuck is. We have an idea of what Ryan Montgomery is. I think in very limited snaps, we were encouraged by what Ethan Wright can be. We've heard very, very good things about what Miles Montgomery could be. Um, so while you know you don't have, you're not sure on the the high end of things. Like it's not like you're starting over with a bunch of guys that you don't know if they can can hack it at this level. So from yeah. an offensive standpoint, to me, it's re- it really does come down to like, what do you, who's the quarterback and what do you get out of them? Because all the other pieces are there to be a good offense. Now I don't know what what good means. I mean, this offense was this year's offense was, you know, eleventh in scoring, top fifteen in a lot of categories. You know. 37 points a game is that's good. That's going to be hard to replicate no matter what. Um, but can you be 30 plus? I think you can. Trey Tucker, 34 catches, 425 yards. Tyler Scott, 30 for 520. And a lot of that, Trey, I mean, a lot of that trade number, I'd like to see this, the, the game breakdown. I mean, a lot of that was in the back half of the year. Mm-hmm. Lenny and Josh, who I think a lot of people would argue 
should have seen more than what 54 combined catches. Yeah. From your two tight ends. I mean, that's the part of the luxury you had in spreading things out as much as you did. Sure. But, I mean, but Jaden Thompson, 14 for 208, you know, and you look almost 15 yards a catch for Jaden, 13 for Josh, 10 for Lenny, 17 for Tyler. And, you know, a couple of those were the, the bombs that he hit. But right. And um, you're also adding in Nick Mardner, who's a, a proven, proven player. Yeah. I mean, he would have been the like you know you can't just translate stat for stat over and obviously they run a totally different system and they're playing, but like he put up real ass numbers. He was right. a, a main element of the Hawaii offense and a guy that looks like he's on the upswing, right? So, um, well, yeah. I mean, what kind of player can he be when you have the type of players around him that UC does? Right. When Definitely. maybe you're not like, you know, it, what what kind of player is he? And I don't know anything about Hawaii football other than all the players hate Todd Graham, which no shit, he's a <laughs> scumbag human being. Um, yeah. But like, what kind of player can you be when you're not, as we talk about in basketball, like when you're not at the top of the scouting report? Right. Um, Jason says, I, I think securing Ohio is more important in the big 12. That's 11 teams looking at the Cincy region a bit more often. Eh, look, I, I get where you're coming from with that, Jason, but Baylor and Texas tech, they're not coming up and here TCU, for, for anybody. they're recruiting Texas, right? Like it's Baylor hired like an old, old timey Texas high school or I'm sorry, not Baylor, Texas, Texas tech, tech from yeah. Baylor. Like that dude is. He's as tied into Texas as maybe anybody down there. Like, they ain't leaving Texas. Yeah. Um, you know, Iowa State is going to be a factor here in Ohio because as of long Matt as Campbell. Campbell's there, right. Um, but I, what, Kansas State is going to start recruiting Colerain? I don't. <laughs> no, I don't... It's, it's the same thing as what we're talking about, like, with us going down there. Right. Like, do they come, do they make their presence known? Sure. You know, they should. They should. If you're going to play game, road games in the state, you should at least have somebody making their presence known. But, like, I don't think it's going to be near a focus of any of their recruiting efforts. How much of a factor was Ben Bryant coming back impacting Josh Wiley staying? I definitely don't think it hurt. Those two are, like, really, really close friends. So it definitely wasn't a bad thing for Cincinnati that, that Ben Bryant's coming back and, and affecting Josh. But I don't think it was like a major factor. I think Josh just feels like, from my understanding, like it, as we talked with Jim Nagy about, this is a loaded tight end draft. And if you're going to get, if you're going to throw your hat in the middle of that, like, yes, you prepare for best case, but don't you also have to prepare for worst case? Sure. Which is your fourth round grade ends up in a sixth round pick, something along those lines. Like, yeah. Next year, you would assume not as many tight ends involved. If so many are coming out this year, you got a chance to be one of the best. So I, I don't think it played a major factor. Michael Young transferring. No, Michael's playing in one of the, the senior bowl games. So uh, that, that would signify the end of his collegiate career. 
he is not going to go the Jordan Jones route, who I believe is uh, going to play his seventh year of college football somewhere else. <laughs> or remember, he had two medical years when he came here. Yeah. That he missed because of injury. So he came here on year five and then got a medical for year six. And now he's got a COVID for year seven. So I believe this is going to be Jordan Jones' seventh year. Him and I will have gone to college for the same amount of years. You, him, and Burt Kreischer. Yeah. Same number of years. Uh, but no, I think Michael is uh, on to what's next, if you will. But to me, Dave, they're they're in to win. They're, they're... Yeah, we got to talk defense, too, though. We've only talked offense. Well, I mentioned all the defensive guys. Right. But um, who, of all the guys coming back, I mean, I think Josh and Lenny are kind of like the easy answers, but do you have do you have someone that you think is is maybe more impact could have a bigger impact, or are those two guys kind of where it's at? I, I think Malik is a is a huge factor. I think Jabari is a huge factor. Like, I think when Jabari played this year, he was really good. Oh, I do too. Um, so I think he could have one of those like Curtis Brooks type years now the question will be i'm interested to see like do you go with jabari malik and briggs uh all across the front line in some way shape or form um i think that'll be interesting boy when you look at when you look at dave did you know we tell this we tell this joke every time not this joke but we we tell this joke on this uh, statement on this podcast a lot Burt Kreischer is the inspiration for Van Wilder. That's that's who that movie is about, is Burt Kreischer. Uh, boy, when when you look at this list, Dave, <laughs> there's they're still they're still losing a lot on defense, but surprisingly, number three, Deshaun Pace returns. Number five in tackles, Ty Van Fossen returns. Number seven, Javon Hicks is back. Number nine, number 10. Number 13. So there's still going to be some dudes on that defense. It's not the star dudes, right? It's not the don't right. spit out your bourbon, Dave. Dave, keep the bourbon it's in the waste, pie hole. It's a waste of bourbon. It's a waste of bourbon. Come on, man. <laughs> but, and then you add a tackling machine and Ivan Pace into the mix. Um, I, I still think, you know, the, uh, the great unknown, and, and now with Perry gone, especially with, with cornerbacks being open, the corners are going to tell the story on how good this defense can be next year. But from your defensive line to your linebackers to to your safety, and, and you're going to have to find a starting safety to go with, with Javon Hicks, of course. But the middle of this defense, the middle of the field, should be in good hands again. Yeah. The outside, we'll see. We'll see. Um, good job, Brian. Brian managed to keep his bourbon <laughs> down. That's good work. Um, I, I the Arquan Bush one is interesting to me. Like, do they keep him in the slot, or do they look at? They've got a guy that's played a ton of football on Taj Ward also 
where you can put Taj Ward at nickel. If you if you say move Arquan Bush to field, now you, you need a boundary guy, but you still have two of those spots covered by veteran guys. Or maybe they feel like Arquan Bush can handle the boundary. I, I, I you know, you just worry with Arquan the, the injuries. Do you do you move him out there knowing that you're gonna have to have a number two ready? Do you say, you know what, Jaquan Shepard has taken all these snaps uh in practice as the number two at the boundary? Do you let him try to make a name for himself? And you still have Todd Bumpus, Sammy Anderson, Justin Harris like chomping at the bit to get on the field. So uh, there's talent at cornerback. It's just a matter of of how it shakes out for me. Right. I just I think with his like his injuries just I don't don't think he's fast enough to be on the outside. I think he'll struggle to run with the top end wide receivers. Yeah, but how many top end wide receivers are they going to face next year? Nathaniel Dell. Okay. Possibly, I guess. Maybe yeah. who knows about the schedule. You see well, from what I from what I've heard, the rumor is that all they're doing, the American, is just running it back next year and flipping home and away. The exact same? Yeah. Because they're like, That's these the guys rumor. are leaving next year anyway. So we're not Yeah, like, we're not gonna go through like a scheduling matrix. We're just gonna keep things exactly as they were in yeah. in twenty twenty one and flip home and away. <laughs> if I was Houston or Memphis, I would be so, so mad about yeah. that. <laughs> Although it worked out pretty damn good for Houston this year. Yeah. Like they're not trying. I don't Houston's not trying to play for a for a you know a BCS spot. They're it, they're, they're out of conference tells you that they're not trying to play right. for a for a not BCS. I would just want to get college football player. I would want to get you see on my home field if I could, I guess is, is my thing. Like, yeah, you know, but there's no guarantee of that with the game no. off. Would you, would you rather take the chance of getting them at the nip or just not having them on the schedule? I don't know. If I'm Houston, I'm like, good. Totally yeah. Good. Yeah. Then maybe they'll be, maybe they'll be the higher ranked team. And then we can ask Dana what he thinks about. Right. You know, playing the home game, playing the conference championship at, at their place in front of, you know, 4,700 people. <laughs> when Cincinnati goes in and wins. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm bullish a little bit on, on 2022. I, I, I just think that, that they're going to like, there's going to be such an expectation that they drop that I think they, they'll be able to play with a little a little chip on their shoulder. I'm trying to be like, I don't know what the, I'm not trying to like be down on it, but like, but I'm also trying not to like drop my expectations too much. I guess I'm hedging my bets. Like for where things are right now. And I know like, depending on what happens with I mean, the coaching stuff. It's January 13th. Like trying yeah. to talk about what's going to happen next year right now is, is but, ridiculous, but that is what I think my, do, so. my expectation at this point is this is a team that should compete to play in the American athletic yes, championship. I will, game. I will agree with that. Like, 
I'm not saying wait, they're, they're the pro- prohibitive favorite. Right. To win. Does that mean nine and three, or does that mean eleven and one? Like, right. I guess that's the that's the question we'll get into much much further down the road. Um, but like, if it's ten and two and they play in the American Athletic Conference Championship game, I don't even know if I would even go as far as like saying they play in it. Just like in November, you're in the running to be in the championship. If they're ten and two, they're going to be in. Well, the but I'm right. But I'm saying like, <laughs> I know, I know. What that's you're what my expectation. What I would be my realistic on, expectation would be be in the running at the end of the year. Like if you're yeah. if you lost what you lost, coaching staff wise, player wise, and you're still like two games left, and you can be in the the championship without like insane scenarios playing out then i think that's that's pretty darn good yeah so that's that's kind of where my brain is at that's kind of where i i think this team is but again positioned like, themselves so to many, be. like this year they were insanely healthy sure so you know those expectations can go out the window you know in september if certain things happen like it's just absolutely you know Expectations change based on, like you know, who wins how, the quarterback job. How you're <laughs> how you're doing through the year changes. You know, like talk about it when you talk about the Bengals. Like no one's expectations was to make the playoffs, but once you got to a certain point and they were winning, and you realized that they were pretty good, the expectation became make the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. So you know. In, on January 13th, what we're saying can be vastly you know, different one way or the other come October 13th. What else you got for football? Anything? Um, Cruton? I mean, we're pretty much, we feel pretty strongly that unless something totally out of the blue happens, we're, we're probably not going to be signing any high school kids come February 2nd. It doesn't seem that way. They they seem to be all in on moving towards 2023. Uh, big recruiting weekend this weekend. As they're doing kind of a hometown heroes deal. If you would like the list of recruits for 2023 that will be on campus on Saturday, you can find that at the top of the Carson Field message board at BearcatJournal.com. And then I would just say with tra- with transfers, they they probably felt like they pigeonholed themselves a little bit last year. Yeah. And so, again, if someone outstanding becomes available or shows interest, sure. Uh, but I think they will be more than happy to just kind of sit back with a couple spots available. Uh, I'm assuming they have. I don't know the. I mean, we this beyond running joke. Like I have no idea what the numbers are, but I'm assuming they. Ha- if they, unlike last year, when 67 guys would transfer, and people would ask us about them, and we would tell them 67 times that they didn't have any room. We do believe this year that there is some room. Now, At I don't least know what, some. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means one more guy, five, five more guys, but. You know, I think there were times in the spring and even into the summer 
where they maybe were like, man, not saying we would have gotten this guy, but it would have been nice to at least have a spot to uh, Try. Make, make it worth our while to pursue. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting on the number, how much the guys coming back have changed that. Yeah. Um, because I think you have to account for, I think last year they were all given the option to come back and it didn't count against your scholarship numbers. I believe this year it does count against the 85. Like you're back to. Well, it can't just keep not counting. Right. <laughs> so um, I'm curious as to how much that impacted it. Yeah. I also don't I mean, were any of them really surprises though? Like there were last year, like. Well, but I don't think like what I'm saying is I don't think in November you were like, all right, these seven guys are coming back. No, but you probably were like, you probably had a number that you thought you didn't know who it was, but you probably forecast, you have to be forecasting it to go, okay, if, yeah. it's, this, if it's this many, we'll have this many more spots. If it's this many, we won't have any. Or how much uh, house cleaning do we have to do after spring football? Yeah, that's definitely going to be a thing, too. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's it's the nature of the sport now. I mean, right. with, the, with a free transfer, you listen, if you get a free transfer year and you go to spring ball and you're not in the two deep, you should be looking to transfer unless you're a freshman. Especially, uh, yeah, especially if you're in your third, fourth year. Right. If you're not, if you're a junior, maybe even if you're a sophomore, and you're not, and you're not in a two deep. You need to be looking out for you if you want to play, because you're getting recruited over. Right. Unless you're in a situation where like your whole position group are seniors, and you're a sophomore, and you're like, well, pretty good chance. Like I'm right behind them. Yeah. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get a ton of run. But those as a are senior. those are like one or two guys. Right. No, I I agree. I agree. Um, so I don't I think don't... we're I don't think we're done with trans no. transfers out. That's you know, or transfers in. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like transfer. If we're not done and, with transfers out, we're not done with transfers in. And what always happens when there's coaching changes? Those new coaches tend to have a few. They know things a couple in guys. their pocket. Yeah, they're not coming in blind when they get the job. What's well, part of like? It's part of the. You know, interview process. Right. Do you have any? Could you bring anybody with you that is good enough to play here? You think Danny Lewis wasn't mentioned in that LSU interview process between BK and Mike Dembrock? Well, considering LSU's roster is just in total shambles, I'm pretty sure anybody that Dembrock could bring with them would have been like, yeah, okay, sounds great. Yeah. Yes. Bring him. Yes. Human being. <laughs> Um, I I don't I don't have who's Perry would take it with him. But see, see that's the, see that who is good enough that in yeah, that quarterback you're, room for Perry to take you're, to Ohio you're State it the wrong way. It's the right? other way around. <laughs> Perry's that's, going to recruit whoever he wants now, but I don't think right. he's taking anybody with him. Now, if like you know James Wiggins was still here or. If, if Brian Cook had an extra year of eligibility that he he wanted to use, yeah, you know, maybe we're talking we're talking a different animal sure. here. I I don't I think 
Derek Forrest would have died on the table for Luke Fickle. So, right. But uh, although he was a Columbus kid, so you, you never know. But yeah, I, I think I think that's not the that's not the way it typically. That's not the way things flow. No, we're looking at like just like we talked about high end players buried on the depth chart, looking for yeah. an opportunity. What's that shirt you got on? Uh, um, an old homage UC shirt. Okay, thought it might be the home field, the home field one. Whoa! Someone just jumped in the chat, coming in hot. Wow! <laughs> Jeez, Louise! <laughs> oh! Time out, sir! You're in timeout. I didn't. Know, I didn't know we had those kind of fans. Jeez, Louise! <laughs> My well, at goodness. Least, at least we know Aaron's paying attention. Wake up. No, that was me. I got oh, that, that was, out. That was oh, you. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I was yeah. like. If Aaron's on the ones and twos, I'm on the threes when Nazi Holocaust <laughs> guy shows up in the chat. Apparently. Xavier, was... Xavier yeah. fan in the chat. Easy, North. Jason. Easy. <laughs> Easy. We're, we're, we're big. We're big in Berlin, apparently. Uh, I was just gonna. I was just gonna mention that we 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 can't get the the full scope of this. Yeah, when am I getting my box of shirts? I'm working on that. We're working on that. I'm a. I'm, a, I'm, I'm gonna give you my size uh, in private message when it comes to home field gear. Yeah, we're uh, we're working on that. So if you haven't seen, home field. Is getting into the Bearcat business January 22nd. Their collection goes live at noon. January 21st, they released the shirt of the week from the collection. And Bearcat Journal is going to be a sponsor. We'll be their models. Of, yeah. <laughs> I saw that they got our guy Action Cookbook in on the mix as well. Uh, yes, Todd. Homefield runs a little snug. So I should go 2x when I go home field? That's that's uh that's what I do. Okay. Okay. But yeah, well uh we're gonna be we're gonna be partnering with home field leading up to their release on January 22nd when this goes live. And uh I'm excited about that. Yes, that's that's a... the shirt right now in the home field collection. I, w- I wish it was black or red. Well, I'm just not a white shirt guy well that's just the one that they oh, have. that's not they're gonna that's release the whole, a whole no, collection they're gonna have a whole uc collection starting on the 22nd so but yes yeah, so I, I, t- I have a tennessee one it's that's very nice yeah i'm excited about that they reached out to us they were like hey would you like to uh partner with us for the release of the cincinnati line i was like yes and they were like okay we'll send shirts to you and your team Yes, I'll, I'll wear them on every podcast. We can wear them on every podcast. It'll be it'll be good. Um, you want to talk some basketball? Sure. Nice win last night. Cincinnati started hot, scored 49 points in the first half. Went cold in the second half, which is not a surprise considering how well they shot the ball over the, the last six halves of basketball leading into that second half last night. Um they get the win over ECU. 
this starts for me a critical five game stretch. It got even more interesting for me last night, Dave, when Tulane was able to knock off Wichita State at Wichita State like a, in the roundhouse. Are they good? Or like, are we? Are we going to just? Can we say that now? Or well, I mean, they're three and one in conference, but they were what six and six and eight or six, like four and eight or something, and out of conference. Um, I, no I don't know if they're good or not, but uh, I thought it was a, an awesome first twenty minutes. First 15 minutes, I thought the defense let up a little bit in the last five minutes of the first half, which created uh, some of those problems. Ref show, that that was not a good crew. What was the technical? Um, like, I was, uh, I think I was doing kid stuff when the game started. What was the technical about? The explanation I got was that Newman threw the ball at a guy, like, and there's a couple of people that have confirmed it on the message board that it did happen, that he, like, he basically soft tossed the ball. And it hit one of the ECU guys in the back. It, so he got a steal, got fouled, driving for a layup, got fouled pretty hard, got up, picked up the ball, and just kind of like lobbed it back at the ECU guy. Yeah. But it hit him in the back, and uh, the the ref with the buzz cut uh, gave him a T, which that was the guy I said looked exactly like. Uh, every ref you see when you walk into a bathroom at an AAU tournament and they're standing there in front of the mirror practicing their charge call. So so a real they, juice, so a real juice box. And they like to practice the T too. Oh yeah. You gotta gotta bounce it off the fingers really quick. This is the one I hate right here. The one finger T yeah. where they where they come in over the top and like yeah. yeah. I like I want to punch that guy in the face every every time I see I've always wondered, like, as someone who, you know, has colorful language and has been around colorful language their whole life, like, what would someone have to say to me to get them to tee him up if I was a ref? Right. Like, I feel like I would laugh more times than I would get mad. Yeah, because some of it, I'm sure, like, I know a bunch of these coaches. What they say is hilarious. I mean, like. When we were growing up, my dad coached our basketball teams, and I think it was fifth grade. He told a ref that if you're not going to call any fouls, to shove the whistle up your ass and then blow it. And we all, like everybody on the bench, just fell out dying laughing. He got a technical, didn't he? Oh yeah. <laughs> but like, it was funny. So like, but like, if someone, if I was a ref and someone said that to me, I'd I'd laugh about it. I don't know, it I is guess. pretty comical. Yes. I don't I don't know why these like why these guys feel like like I just I don't know why you give out technicals for things like that. Like did he think if he didn't give him a technical that that was going to start a, a brawl? From my understanding what he said to West basically was look, he threw the the ball off the guy's back, that's a technical. I don't have a choice but to call it. Oh whatever. You always have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> But there were a couple people that watched it and confirmed. Like, it did happen. Sure. So, if you're a hardo, you're going you're gonna to call that every time, unfortunately. Um, to the game. Uh, they shot it well in the first half. Did not shoot it well in the second half. Uh, they had a guy go bananas in Vance well, Jackson. Over 40 league Vance Jackson. Apparently. Yeah, with 35. Um, but they built a big lead. They played well for an extended stretch. 
They didn't have a good second half, but I thought one of the, and, and Wes talked about this in the post game. And again, if you're not listening to his post games, you're missing out. Well, I'm usually asleep, so. Well, go back and like find him or something. <laughs> go go back and watch because he acts like he's really good about talking basketball. Why they were successful, why they weren't, what they did that worked, what they did that didn't work. Like, if you're looking to learn a little bit about the whys of each game, Wes is one of the better coaches I've heard of actually like being open and and talking basketball. Sure. Most of them, you know, they just want to like coach speak it and get their little their, their little quips in and like be done with it. Um, but I thought in the final four or five minutes of, of the second half, when it it got close, it got down to five. Um, they did a good job, like buckling down and getting some stops and making sure it didn't get any closer than that to where it was a one possession game with, you know, yeah, eight I mean, seconds left where all of a sudden you somebody launches a three-quarter court shot with nine seconds left and there's a foul and the other team wins. When your field goal percentage goes down 22 points from the first half to the second half. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not great. Not great. I do, I do want to ask, are you surprised at all about how vital – to this team's success, John Newman has become? No. This is kind of what I expected from John Newman when he got here. Like, this is what I heard about him. Um, like, they're a pretty terrible defensive team when he's not on the floor. Yeah, they don't have a lot of dudes defensively when John Newman's not on the floor. But from what I heard on his way in, team guy, long athletic wing that can defend, and a dude that just does winning stuff. And that's what he's been. And now we're starting to see his shot come around a little bit. Like he's becoming more and more valuable uh, because he's he's able to help on both ends of the floor. Um, I think he's what, probably 6'5". So he's not in that like jumbo, you know, when you call it, consider a jumbo wing, they're typically up in the 6'7 the range. Sure. Uh, John Newman does not defend as well as remotely close to as well as Rashad Bishop. No, but he does bring to the team something that it it does it lacks severely without him. Um, and he's carved out a really nice little nice little space for himself in this program. Uh, he says he intends to be back next year as well. So uh, we've talked about like a who is going to be like that locker room leader. I think John Newman does the things that you want uh, when you're looking for somebody in that role, right? Yeah. Defends, tough, physical, will get on the floor, um, doesn't say a whole lot, but lets his play kind of do the talking. And those are the type of guys that are able to hold their teammates accountable and make sure that, that shit gets done. And uh, so, yes, I actually, there was a lot of me that felt like of the new guys, like John was the one that was going to be able to impact winning the most early in his time in Cincinnati. Right. And he has. You know, where, 
we're what 12 and 5 so seven, 17 games in what roughly 13 to go yeah where can this team realistically 14, 14 to go 14 i think yeah where can this team realistically you know outside of shooting the ball better because i mean they're just which they've done team. but they're still not going to be like a great shooting team no matter what I think the one thing I will say on that, I think they're getting better at getting the right guy's shots in shooting position. Right. Um, they're, they're not just hoisting to hoist uh, over the past three and a half, four games. They're taking good shots. Sometimes they're going to fall. Sometimes they're not. But it, it's a lot like free throw shooting, right? Like you get the right guys, the right shots. And all of a sudden, you look like a better shooting team as opposed to guys taking, you know, off-balance shots uh, eight seconds into the shot clock. Yeah. The, those, you know, the ones that where, make coaches want to poke their eyes out. Where are a couple spots you think Wes <clears throat> looks at them and goes, if we can get a little better here, that could make a big difference from, say, going, I don't know, let's say 10 and four the rest of the way versus, you know, what, you know, nine and five or eight and six, like, you know, where, where can they get a little bit better to, to, to maybe steal a game on the road or, you know, something like that. I, I think connectivity on defense is still, for me, like the consistent, it, it's it's funny because it's there in stretches and then poof, it'll like vanish for like 10, 15 minutes. And I think the more this team understands, they don't have a choice but to be fully bought in defensively at all times. Because even if they're having good offensive nights, you know what's, any any second from happening, the first 10 minutes of the second half. Well, yeah, they just let – not that they weren't playing hard or whatever, but, like, they just let ECU get into a groove. Right. And that carried no, I on. Thought, I thought for sure their effort dipped the last five minutes of the first half. Like, once they got up 23 yeah. or so, um, you do get to that point where I think, especially young guys, feel like – They're going to – the other team's going to – they're gonna yeah, pack it we're going to cruise to a win. We're up 20-something at home. They're going to they're gonna stop. But, like, they just let them like, get what they wanted. There was no resistance, like, yeah. for, for a while. And the team's just not good enough to do that, to allow that to happen against anybody. Inside scoring needs to improve. I mean, sure. But who on this team outside of uh, – we've seen some improvement from Odie. And we've seen Vic be able to do some things. But this is not a roster built to, like, throw the ball inside and have them put it in the basket. Like, Gary Clark and Kyle Washington are not on this team. Clearly. So, sure, it'd be nice if inside scoring could improve, but – like Koval and and o, Ado Ado Ado, uh, just aren't guys you can throw the ball to on the block and say go get me a bucket. So it, it it's it's not realistic, I don't think, to say like this is a team that you know needs to needs to throw the ball inside more 
because they have a bunch of guys that can just post up, take two power dribbles and put the ball on the rim. Yeah, I mean, I think that improvement comes with, with better players, with recruiting. And I think that's the thing that was the the biggest glaring thing to me that jumped out in the Memphis game was just like, yeah, we made 16 threes and that was awesome. But like, that was because we could get nothing inside. And it's not even the quote well, unquote but- inside guys. It's just the sheer athleticism and ability of the Memphis guys just made it so hard to do anything you know, near the basket. And we just yeah. need, we just need longer, more athletic dudes. Like that's really what it comes down to. The problem with Memphis oftentimes is even with more longer athletic dudes, their dudes are still longer and more athletic than yours. Right. But you, at least you're not yeah. driving in with, and you know, I'm not saying this to, to crack on him, but like, you're not driving in with Micah Adams Woods. You're driving in with six, five, six, five, six, 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 seven. Well, that's like, like like that's what had an impact. Micah was trying to to avoid having somebody come from behind and just beat the shit out of the ball off the backboard, right? Or he's moving the ball in the air and trying like <clears throat> when you see what a couple of those Memphis guys did on drives, where guys are just going to lay it up and they're there. Were, I mean, there spiking. were there was one, and I think it was in the first half, and I don't even know who it was. Dude, dude just came out of nowhere and i was just like how do you even get to that like just i mean yeah they're they're just it's just not in this team's dna right now to to go up when a team like that is playing that way and they didn't even play i mean their main guys didn't even have good games well i want to touch on that though that's right now where you see is is at such a decided disadvantage. Tyler Harris is what Memphis's seventh best player, eighth best player, talent wise. I mean, yeah, not Tyler, but that's getting to my point, right? Value, he's higher, but like if you just stacked him up best to worst, like, yeah, he's. He's not in the five most talented guys on the team. And Tyler Harris is absolutely a guy that can put 20 on you on any given night. He can shoot it. He's got you know that shot he hit to put Memphis up three. You mean when both guys left him to go with the cutter and the three? No, 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 no. What that was a 28-foot three. Don't leave the ball. Still. No, the one right at the end <laughs> where he hit the push shot from like 13 feet oh, over yeah. a hand that was six feet or six inches higher than mm. like his release point. Like uh, the freshman kid, I don't even know his name for Memphis. The, the foreign the freshman Bates? kid. No, oh. the foreign kid that had a great game. Oh, they, they did a good job on Bates and Duran. Yeah. And, and Landers Nolly was pretty much a non-factor. But and and DeAndre Williams didn't play. Those arguably Quinones is is up there, um, also up there in the most punchable faces in college basketball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like 
you know, they're they're sixth and seventh and eighth guys are the guys that killed Cincinnati. Are you really in a position? Tell me. Are you talking about Josh Minot? Josh Minot. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. Producer extraordinaire, Aaron. Yes. Um, Cincinnati's not in a position where you can get beat by the team's seventh best player. Seventh, eighth, and the sixth, seventh, and eighth, seventh, eighth, and ninth best players are the ones that that. That, that that score 87 points. Yeah, you can't be losing games where you do good a good job on the two top five NBA draft picks. But that's the difference in Memphis, the Memphis roster, right? That's where the Cincinnati roster needs to get. That's where the, the development and the growth needs to happen. Because I think even like if you go back to mixed best teams, there still wasn't a ton behind like six, seven, eight, no. right? Like that Memphis team, and, and of course they go on the road and just shit the bed last night. <laughs> yeah. And lose by 10 at UCF. And score 65 points. That's because the league is dog shit. Yeah. Well, like, but Memphis shouldn't be dog shit. No, but I'm just saying they like we go we can revisit old podcasts when I said that it was a one bed league. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that today. <laughs> I, I, I talked about that today. Like it's Who's who's bid number two? <laughs> yeah. Who, who's not winning the conference tournament and making the NCAA tournament? Right. And, and let, let's say hypothetically Houston wins the conference tournament. Who's bid number two? Who gets in besides Memphis? Well, Memphis isn't getting in if they don't win the or conference Who gets tournament? in besides Houston, I mean? That's, yeah. that's what I mean. Who gets in besides Houston if they win the conference tournament? Nobody. I don't think there's anybody in position to do so right now. Well, now, no. what? UCF's record is pretty good, right? Yeah, but who have they, like... But I'm saying, like, if they knock off Houston, at, at, like, at Houston or something... and I still don't see it. I, I don't necessarily see it all, but, again, 68 teams have to make it. Right, I mean, right. And I'm... This is, like, as late into the year that I've ever gotten into basketball mode obviously because of all the football stuff going on so i've like i was floored the other day when i was i was like auburn's number four in the country oh that's interesting hey aaron had no idea um aaron yep talk to dave talk to dave for a minute okay i got something to do (laughs) okay okay talk talk to me aaron (laughs) Well, I mean, you were in the middle of a point that this was as late as you've started. Yeah, no, I just basketball. like. Do you think anybody in this conference can make the tournament, even if they went on a run? I, I just, I haven't seen anything that at this point proves that anybody in the conference right right now can <laughs> can hang with anybody. Right, like I mean, um, I'm in the middle of pulling up the the conference standings right now, so. Yeah, I just I'll have that here. You know, you have Houston, and then Tulane has the neck what next best conference record, or they're not going to. I mean, they're not making the tournament. They're not going on a run. <laughs> seven and seven, Tulane. Seven yeah, and seven. <laughs> I mean, SMU twelve and four, but like, you know, against who? who? Against who? Temple ten and six. No, Memphis nine and six. UCF's ten. I mean, 
the teams with the biggest the teams with the biggest wins right now that I know of off the top of my head, um, because I haven't even looked at Houston's schedule, so I don't know what they did out of conference, but I mean Cincinnati has that Illinois win and Memphis has the Alabama win. But outside of that, like who else is making noise? I know UCF beat Michigan, but Michigan's been pretty terrible this year. It's 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 tough. I don't I don't I mean, especially when you're looking down at the bottom of the league, God, I mean, Wichita State. That's the thing is, like, if you lose, like, that's, like, you're not getting any credit for beating anybody, and any of your losses are going to be, like, not quote-unquote bad losses, but they're not, I mean, they're, they're hurting you. Even in the Ken Palm, um, outside of Houston, like, Memphis, even before when I was doing the research for the preview for the uh, the Memphis UC game, Memphis was not in the top twenty five. They're not. They weren't in the top thirty. I think they were thirty six or so, uh, thirty seven before I even finished the article in the four hours it took me to write. <laughs> um, <laughs> they had already moved. So um, it's it's yeah the, the the conference. I mean, you you said it. It's it's kind of a dog shit conference this year. So what do you what do you do with it? I mean, unless. Unless somebody somehow, like if Houston's just in coast mode to where they don't care about winning the tournament, I mean, they did lose some guys, obviously. Well, that's the Um, thing, too, is like how much does that impact Houston? How much does that impact them? I mean, do they end up, you know, they've only played three games, obviously, because they didn't play UC. Right. But like, you know, say they go, say they win 12, you know, if they lose four or five more games against this conference like is that an at-large resume well i mean even if you look over in the the last columns here for uh it's their win loss against teams that are ranked in the ap or the uh, usa polls usa today polls um houston's 0-1 in the ap and 2-1 and in in the uh usa today yeah. um outside of that you have like i said you have that one win for memphis you have cincinnati one and one um, with the Illinois Arkansas games, um, I, I just I'm not seeing anything in this conference that, that gives no. you any type of hope that anybody is going to make it outside of Houston. And Houston is making it largely off of what they did in their out of conference early in the season before they lost a handful of guys. You know, so yeah. ugh. <laughs> what else do you say? Like, ugh. I mean, I know people probably get tired of us, like, just being like, this. get us out of this conference. This conference sucks, but, like, my God. Yeah, I mean, that's that's where you just see the light at the end of the tunnel as, you know, this team prepares to enter Big 12 play. Big 12 looks completely different than this when you're talking uh, both football and hoops, so. Yeah, pull, pull up the Big 12 standings. Let's let's see who's how that's going. <sighs> I mean, I, I know Baylor's just lost, but uh, yeah, like, okay, so mental picture, like two teams in the top 10 other than, but even going deeper than that, like other than Houston, the team with the fewest losses overall in the league is UCF has four, UC has five. They have two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven teams have fewer losses than that. 
Iowa State's one and three in the league. That's all their losses are in league. It's eight. Actually, eight teams. Eight? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> five five ranked teams. Um, you know, three in the top 15, two in the top 10. Like, vastly different. And you have eight teams with double-digit wins already. Yeah. No yeah. comparison. <laughs> So like that that's where all the at large bids is coming from. It's not coming from the American. No. It's coming from, from all these conferences. And truthfully, like with, with conference play without a conference play over and conference play going, with only one ranked team, I don't see anybody doing enough outside of going maybe winning like You gotta win all your games. Pretty much. Like I I don't know that any team could even do enough at this point, even if they one out because who are you playing? You're playing where yeah, like where are you where are you stacking up wins? That's that's been my thing always is like when people when we talk about at large is like where are your where are you stacking up wins to differentiate differentiate yourself from other teams? I mean just take UC for example, you know, twelve and five. Anything yep. any loss outside of Houston from here on out is for a tournament resume standpoint, is a bad loss. More or less, I mean, maybe, maybe Memphis if they, because I think at home, are, I think, Mem- I, think people, I was gonna say I think people are, are still kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt, looking at their roster and knowing that you have two future NBA draft picks, so they might yeah, get but the a number, little. The numbers are going to be the numbers eventually. Like eventually, they're going to have double digit losses. They I mean, may no. They may may still get some pull love, just. Because that's how voters are. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think in college basketball, it's that doesn't that mean I think means even less than in college football because we know that they <laughs> use the the they use the metrics so much more. Like, and I don't even think you know if they end up losing more than if they lose double digit games, not like they're going to be ranked, right? So it's just it's pretty gross. All the way around. Agreed. But I mean, UC is gonna. I guarantee you, though. You know, UC is gonna kick themselves at some point for losing that game to Tulane. Yeah. If they're not already, I mean. Oh, I'm sure they are. But like, if you're, if you're 13 and four and three and one in the conference, you feel pretty good about where you stand and moving forward. And I, I shouldn't, you know, it's kind of silly to then make that then makes that game seem like it's super, super important. But I think, you know, when it comes down to it, if you, if they can do what they want to do, that thing's going to be sticking out like a sore thumb um, <laughs> on, on your, on your resume, you lost a home game to a, to a 500 team, you know, it's that's not going to be good. Well, Memphis lost to them as well for whatever that's worth. Yeah, well, that's what but, I'm saying. Like, no one is that good, so they're gonna they're all gonna take on these these weird like Wichita State losing at home to uh, to Tulane. But Todd does bring up a good point. If it's a one, only one big league, then it really only matters if they could win three games in a row, right? So I that was an important call. Assumed as are we, much. Are we breaking any news? We, I'm going to break a little news right now. Okay. Tomorrow, 
Cincinnati will get an unofficial visit from five-star point guard Isaiah Collier. Oh, okay. The coaching staff was in to see Isaiah last night or today. They had a game last night. (laughs) In to see Isaiah Collier. Isaiah Collier will be on campus tomorrow afternoon visiting Cincinnati. He is playing. If you want, you have the opportunity to go see Isaiah Collier and uh, wear your Bearcat gear and and make some noise for him Saturday flying to the hoop up in Dayton. Isaiah Collier is playing. And before he makes it to Dayton, Isaiah Collier will be stopping by for an unofficial visit to the UC campus tomorrow afternoon. Where is he from? Five-star point guard from Atlanta. Is that why he? they're just here like early for the tournament? I would assume they're making their way to to Dayton for the tournament. It's a great event if you've never been. At it's awesome. Trent and Arena. Josh Reed, I believe, plays Monday as well. I got a video if you want to watch it on Isaiah Collier. Sure. Um, but yeah, great event up in, uh, at, I think it's at Fairmont. Yeah, it's at Fairmont. So I think that was worthy of pausing and letting Aaron step in for a minute. So I yeah, so we that. just continued talking about how terrible the the basketball conference is. Here's that video. So. Oh, look at him go. Not doing anything. Aaron, you gotta... Aaron, stop. Aaron, stop. Aaron, stop. Aaron, stop. Uh, yeah, the, anybody listening to the podcast, I did. <laughs> Jesus. Some sweet buffering. We have talked about you gotta play those a time or two first before on your on your second screen before you put them live. So they gotta, can work the buffering out. issues out. <laughs> this yeah. has happened like four every time you've tried to play a video now that we have had this, All right. this, this issue. Is, uh, this is a on high that level, note, I'm, I'm high level, high level yeah. production. Get out. This is why we're paying the big bucks, yeah. folks. I am paying him the big bucks now, and he still can't get it figured out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Isaiah Collier. That that is a uh a significant one for uh, for Cincinnati. What year is he? Twenty? You say twenty twenty three? Yeah, twenty twenty three. Five star point guard. So, so is that like a? What uh, was that, Dave? I don't know. It, it, we're going to suspend Aaron for two hours for that. Is uh, is this a guy that you feel like they could be in till the end with? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they've made a pretty good push with him. I think. Um, I don't know if you saw or not, if you remember or not, but the, there were some signs for Isaiah Collier at game day when oh, okay. game day was here. Like the, the UC fans have shown him a lot of love. Um, they have. This is why you bring Chad Dollar onto your staff, right? Yeah. Like this is the type of dude. If you want to recruit at the highest level, you got to have a guy like Chad Dollar, and Isaiah Collier is why. So. I look forward to uh, hearing more information on that uh, over the weekend. But he plays, I think, at 4.30 on Saturday. 
Mick will be there. Mick Walker will be there for us. So I'll have Mick try to uh, catch up with Isaiah Collier uh, at that game or after that game on Saturday. And then, uh, like I said, Josh Reed will be there also uh, on Monday for Pace Academy. Um, if you want to get a look at Josh Reed. So that's that was that was my big news that I had to, I had to step. So I, I don't, there's certain contacts, right? When the phone rings and you see a certain, like, you know, somebody. Well, yeah. You're like, uh, we're going to have to stop the podcast. Well, for yeah, you better answer minutes. it because if you don't answer it and you try to call them back or something and they don't answer. Right. The phone's then, ringing. You better answer it. That's yeah, how, right. that's, that's how information works. That's usually how you feel when I call. Of course, I stop must, everything must, I'm doing. Must be something extremely important, especially because pretty much every day you call uh, as you're going to pick up Will, or yes, it, it, you know, like something important is happening and Dave needs to talk. So I stop what I'm doing. Uh, sometimes I'll have when I'm filling in for Mo, I'll just have Taryn talk on the radio for ten minutes, uh, so we can talk because that's the <laughs> level of respect I have for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So there you go. That's the big news of the pod. Five-star point guard on campus tomorrow. Big news. Big news. I feel like that's a great place to end it. I think it is. Like, we're not going to do any better than that. Nothing we say is going to top me dropping the Isaiah Collier unofficial visit. So I think it's a good time to end it. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. That was Aaron Smith. We'll work on finding a, finding a new producer. Finding a new producer. Yeah, we'll we'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. It's the BCJ podcast presented by the Holy Grail, right here on BearcatJournal.com. <laughs>